The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, Happy New Year! Uh, in this new year, I want to think on a theme of blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? So our text is going to be Psalm 1, but before we go there, um, I want you to, I want us to watch a really powerful testimony that speaks of this blessing. Let's, let's watch that now. The exciting part of an adventure is the next step and in the next corner and the next flip. When you go into these moments when your world is flipped upside down, you can hold on to two pieces. You don't understand it, but he's good. It looks like he's out of control. He's all powerful. Those two things can enable you to hold on to anything. like the second date probably pretty close because you wanted me to know right away who you were she pulls out this big envelope and she dumps it out with all these mission opportunities and like kind of like she's like what what do you think and i just kind of put it all back in i said that's really nice but not gonna happen to be honest missions terrified me and so brenda just kind of quietly prayed that if this was something we were supposed to do that God would change my heart and he would draw both of us. When we became confident that God was calling us, we sold everything. Boxed up the rest that we were going to bring. Packed it up and we went to Poland and it was an adventure, which we thought we'd be doing for the rest of our lives. When we were in Poland, I got really, really sick and I wasn't getting any better. So we returned, and that was a very defeating time for us. I felt like a failed missionary. I literally felt as if God had just grabbed me by my hair and just flung me and said, I hope you do well, and walked away. And we know that's not true, but it's exactly how we felt. We got David into school, and he started having vision troubles, and we took him to the doctor. We thought, oh, he just must need glasses. The glasses didn't work. Then he said, I need to refer you to a specialist, a retinal specialist, where he uh, said, you have macular dystrophy. This is where he was losing his vision, and he had really large print books that they would use for him. He was so proud when he could read, but was very sad watching him bent over like that. Started with his vision and ultimately filled in his brain and took his life 13 years later. Flip. Mm David, we were introduced to an author named Randy Alcorn. His books were about eternity, and that really helped me process David's death and knowing where he was going to be, and that heaven is such an incredible place. 
following year, we were introduced to another book by Randy called The Treasure Principle about storing up your treasure for eternity. And it totally transformed the way we viewed our giving. He talks about if you look at your life as a line, and that line is eternity. So God has existed forever, and he goes on forever, and we happen to occupy one little dot on that line. And so often what we do is people will live for this dot. We live to try to gain as much as we can. We, we, if we don't get what we want in this dot, we think our life is over. And so for us to realize that we're on this dot, and David will leave this dot, but I'm going to leave the dot, and you're going to leave the dot. That eternal perspective changed the way we live our life and view our life. David's death freed us from the dot. We just thank you that you've given us that incredible opportunity. One day, Warren came home with this invitation from the church. He says, hey, want to go to Branson, Missouri? And I'm thinking, what do, why would we want to go there? And he goes, I don't know, but it's free. It's vacation. free. Yeah. <laughs> so we said yes. And we show up and realize as we're sitting there, we're around all these people who have a lot this of money. A this is a events. fundraiser. We've, <laughs> we have nothing to give, but here we are. And we just uh, sat there and was in awe of mm. the speakers and what God was doing with this ministry. And we looked at each other and we just thought, oh my gosh, Lord, wouldn't that be the most amazing thing if one day in our life we could fund a Jesus film translation? Verse 19, do not store up yourself treasures on... My dad's company is a label manufacturer, and at one point he decided to give some small portion of stock to his daughters. We really didn't even know what that meant, to be we honest didn't, with you. Yeah, we, we just clueless. didn't know, have any idea. I mean, we didn't know the business was doing so well. But as time went on, it just kept doing better and better. And so our ability to give and fund translations became more of a possibility. And every year it just seemed to grow our first million dollar commitment we came up with this creative way of fulfilling that commitment by donating a home and they have a whole ministry that makes that possible jesus film is our favorite organization to give to because of how committed they are to the great commission they are so committed to reaching the world for christ the command from Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations is not just to missionaries. It's to every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. It's not about the dot I can actually give going forward. We thought our missions was done, that we had failed. But the Jesus film has given us this ability to continue to be a part of this calling that we were so clear that he wanted us to be a part of. We give because we want every person to know who Jesus is. We can't imagine that there's anything more important that we can invest in for the rest of our lives. That's blessing. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing to see your sovereign hand planning these dear people and blessing them, making them fruitful for the sake of your kingdom 
and their greater joy. Lord, help us to look to you as we head into this new year. Instead of fear and dread, we ask that you would strengthen us in your word so that we might be fruitful and blessed in this season. We pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 1. Um, Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 1. The beginning of the Psalms, uh, I think a, a great and appropriate passage for this first Sunday of 2022. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. You may be seated. So the question I just want us to think about is, what does it mean to be blessed? Many would think of this word when they consider uh, Vanitha's history, or many actually wouldn't think of this word uh, if you know Vanitha's history. Here's how she describes her own story or her own history. Um, She says, I was bullied as a child, suffered multiple miscarriages, have buried a son, deal with a debilitating disease, was left by my first husband and struggled with single parenting. So I understand loneliness, fear, and discouragement, and tragedy that feels pointless. But I also know the grace of God who meets us, transforms us, and changes others in and through our suffering. Benita has much to say about blessing. I came across this article that she wrote. Uh, Let me share some of it with you. She writes, feeling blessed is in vogue. A quick look at Facebook and Twitter shows how many people today feel hashtag blessed. In our social media world, saying you're blessed can be actually a way of boasting while trying to sound humble. Unexpected raise, hashtag blessed. Wonderful family, hashtag blessed. As Christians, we use that term too, of course. We pray God will bless our family. We attribute our undeserved gifts to God's blessings. But what does it really mean? How should we understand the blessing of God? For believers, is the blessed life synonymous with successful life? Is it the Christian version of the good life? A loving marriage, obedient children, a vibrant ministry, a healthy body, a successful career, trusted friends, financial abundance. If these are the characteristics of a blessed life, then having all of them should translate into an extraordinarily blessed life. But does it? 
If someone had all those things, would they be extraordinarily blessed? Rather than turning to God, they might feel self-sufficient and proud, perhaps a bit smug and self-righteous. After all, their hard work would be yielding good fruit. Moreover, they wouldn't need to cry out to God for deliverance. Everything would already be perfect. They wouldn't need to trust God. They could just trust in themselves. They wouldn't need God to fill them. They would already be satisfied. This is what uh, Venetha wrote. What does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean to be blessed? Psalm 1 goes much deeper than our earthly comforts. And it begins with, with really a pattern. We see a pattern of living in the first uh, verse of Psalm. Look at the first verse. Uh, to understand blessing. We need to understand life's choices and where they lead us. There are stages to sin, and there are contrasting choices in these stages that can also lead to blessing. It begins with walking, and walking speaks of influence. So the question is, are we influenced by the counsel of the wicked or the godly? And this leads to to stopping and standing. Standing has to do with your identity. And the question is, whose way is your way? Do we identify with sinners or saints? And finally, we sit. And when we sit, we've become the one who actually is the influencer of others. We've moved from identifying to giving the counsel that we hold to, that we believe. And of course, the question is, what is it that we believe? The context given in this psalm has to do with sin, and the answer isn't that we just merely avoid it. First of all, we can't avoid sinners because, let's face it, we can't avoid ourselves. But primarily what this speaks of is influence. I want you to think of influence. And the answer is never ultimately for us to avoid living in the world. We're supposed to engage with the people of this world if we're ever to love them and serve them and go and make disciples. We're not called to be monks who completely avoid sinful people and isolate in a supposedly safe and nice Christian bubble. And we can't help but, the reality is we can't help but be with sinners. We live with them. And we're called to be the ones who influence those around us. So, it's not, it's not a matter of proximity. It's a matter of influence. Young people, your parents care about you. They care about who you hang out with, who influences you, and because they want you to be blessed, this blessing begins with walking. It begins with them caring about who influences you. And parents, yes, there's wisdom in sheltering our children um, while they're easily influenced, but there's also wisdom in realizing, you know, eventually they're going to live in the world. And so the goal is not sheltering, but preparing The goal is that they stand and then sit 
with Christ and become a godly influence to others. So I suppose the question is, where are we walking? Are we influenced by those who encourage us to sin or by those who confess their sins to us and pray for us and hold us accountable and encourage us to be influenced by Christ instead of sinners? Who are we listening to? This involves, you know, what do we watch? What do we, who do we laugh with? What are we laughing at? Who do we, who do we admire? Um, have you ever noticed this in your life? You, you just, you really admire someone and you're around them a lot. And then eventually you find yourself just taking on their characteristics. You maybe start talking like them and using phrases like, like them. Or, or I think, you know, if you move to London or Alabama, uh, how long would it take for you to develop an accent? this same principle of influence applies to our thinking. It applies to our assumptions, our beliefs. So for the sake of true and lasting happiness, satisfaction, or blessing, we need to be more aware of our surroundings, our habits, what we're entertained by. We need to honestly ask ourselves if we're being influenced by the counsel of the wicked. We need to ask this because Psalm 1 tells us there's a progression. One thing leads to another, and eventually we'll stop walking and we'll find ourselves standing and then sitting. And what this is, uh, it's actually a form of meditation when you think about it. This progress from from walking to standing to sitting, it's meditation. It begins with hearing, with reading, and then stopping and and thinking about it, identifying with it, and then sitting down on that message and becoming a proponent of that message. So what are you meditating on? What's consuming your thoughts Are you growing in and teaching this to others? Now, there's nothing wrong with with, um, taking in sports and hobbies and history and certainly education and nowadays politics all the more. But if these things become your identity, your meditation day and night is on these kinds of things, then we're likely not very focused on battling sin in our lives. And this area of interest is, is not going to serve you well because sin is our greatest enemy. It's not going to lead you to the blessed life that you desire. It may actually be an idol. At the start of a new year, we tend to think about the importance of God's word and rightly dedicating ourselves to daily reading. And this is always a, uh, okay, you know, we, we have these start of the new year and we dedicate ourselves. This is a right dedication. We should always come back to 
you know, if, we, if we're disappointed with our reading of God's word over this past year, start again. Uh, we need to always have this right focus, no matter how many times we've failed at keeping a particular Bible reading program. It's always a right focus because only God's word has the ability to lead us to God's blessing. Only God's word has the ability to change our thinking and our attitude, our hearts, our actions. They're all influenced by the word of God. So even if you're, you're not much of a resolution kind of person, this is one that you should resolve to do, to dedicate yourselves to. And if you're on the BCC email list, I sent out two recommendations to you. Uh, very doable. So don't worry about how long it takes you to read. Just read. Read and pray that God will give you delight in reading as you, as you grow closer to him. The blessed life begins with reading God's word. This is the counsel that we need. But the goal is not simply to read it. You know, sometimes we can get into these, these um, programs and it's just, it's all about checking that box. The goal is not simply to read, but to desire to see Jesus, to grow in our love for him, to see him as the person that we admire and, and hopefully begin to imitate. Jesus said in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it, it is they that bear witness about me. They're about me. You're reading of God's word is about him. So read, but not simply just to check that box. Read with a desire to grow in your love for the Savior. Pray, pray before you read. Pray that God would open your eyes that you might see wondrous things in his word. And the second description in the first verse of Psalm 1 has to do with standing. The description of verse 1 is standing in the way of sinners. And the word way speaks of a lifestyle, a path that you, that you follow. It begins with an influence and it very naturally leads to, to identifying where that their lifestyle becomes a... Um, our lifestyle. We're influenced by a person. Their lifestyle becomes our lifestyle. We identify with them, with their attitude. Is the word of God the lens that interprets what we see in life? Or has entertainment desensitized us? Or a liberal education influenced us to the point of those things becoming the lens that we see God's word through? And we twist it to meet our own ends. So standing in the way of sinners has to do with that lens, that particular identity that shapes my lifestyle, my attitude and habits, and then either ignores God's word or it twists it into saying what I want it to say. Psalm 1 tells us that the blessed person doesn't walk with. They're, they're not influenced by the wicked. The blessed person doesn't continue to the point of, of standing or 
stopping and identifying with the way or lifestyle of sinners. And yes, we're all, you know, we're all sinners, but all, we, all, we all continue to struggle with sin and hopefully against sin. But it's one thing to resist sin, and it's another thing to stand in it. We're to walk with, to admire Jesus and be influenced by him, standing or identifying with him, which leads us to struggling against sin. And Jesus makes it clear that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot stand in the way of sinners, identifying with them, while also standing or identifying with Jesus. It's one or the other. Jesus tells us to acknowledge our sin, to resist it, to repent, to turn from it. So having your identity in Christ doesn't mean that you you no longer struggle with sin. In fact, you must struggle with sin. It's when you stop struggling. It's when you stop and you stand and identify in it that you're truly in danger. This is the progression of sin described in Psalm 1, from walking or being influenced to standing or identifying, and then to finally sitting in the seat of scoffers. And as horrible as this sounds, uh, Kent Hughes points out that scoffers tend to be funny. We like funny people. Scoffers, he wrote, they'll make you laugh as you turn away from God. Mockers are missionaries of wickedness. They'll tell jokes as they call good evil and evil good. They want to make you feel stupid for trying to follow God. All, and if you listen to them long enough, you'll walk in their counsel. You'll take your stand with them and you'll become like them. The, progress, the progression of sin leads to becoming a scoffer, being a missionary of wickedness, promoting it, making fun of those who don't identify or agree with Christ, with you, hopefully. And the contrast to all of this is the blessed man of Psalm 1. We all want to be this blessed man, this blessed person of Psalm 1, but there's a problem. There's a problem in this psalm. There's a problem that reveals we're not the blessed person described in Psalm 1. It's not us. Because the grammar of verse 1 requires something none of us have done. It requires complete obedience. In other words, the blessed man has never sinned. It's not you. There's a perfect mood in the verbs, emphasizing that the godly are never involved with anything tainted with evil. The, blessed, the blessing of Psalm 1, it's for those who are always separate from sin. The ancient Jews who rightly understood this psalm must have recognized that this doesn't even apply to Abraham, because Abraham denied his own wife. He lied about her. It's not about Moses, who killed a man, lost his temper, and struck the rock. It's not about David, who 
committed murder and adultery. No, if they rightly understood this psalm, then the only one it could be was the coming Messiah. Their hope, and even though this psalm is a a pattern for us to follow, it's ultimately pointing to the one whose birth we just celebrated. Only Jesus fits the description of the blessed man in Psalm 1. Only Jesus has earned God's blessing by his works, by his perfect contrast to the sinner, by his delight in the law of the Lord. He is truly blessed. He is happy. So the bad news is that we're not the blessed man of Psalm 1. But the good news is that we can be blessed through him. All of the blessings of Psalm 1 can be ours. Jesus alone has earned God's blessing, and the inheritance of this blessing is ours. It's ours by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we're united to him, His blessing becomes our blessing. His life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His eternal joy is ours. He lived the blessed life, and God graciously gives it to us. For our sake, he, God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of the blessed man is counted as ours. It's imputed to us. And so all of the blessings of Psalm 1 become ours. And not just in a, in a forensic or, or legal sense, but because we've been given the spirit of Christ living within us, he influences us. He helps us to turn away from sin to delight in God's word, to meditate on it, to live it out. And as those who are in Christ, we sit. We become missionaries of his righteousness. Verse 2 not only describes what's true of Jesus, but what we are to grow in. We are to delight in God's word. We are to love it so much that we meditate upon it day and night. This description, this is the description of Jesus, but it's birthed in us as well. It's possible in our lives. So if you don't love reading God's word, if it's just a chore, pray that you will love it. Don't you think that's a prayer that God's going to answer? Pray and ask God to give you a hunger for it. And in the meantime, if you still don't love reading it, keep going to the Bible in faith. Keep going in faith, expecting that God's going to bring about this change in you. So not just reading, but, but meditating on God's word. Meditate, speaking of chewing on it. Chew on it. Reflect upon it as you read. Ask questions of the text. Write down a, a couple of things that, that stand out to you in your reading. Don't just get through it quickly and check the box. Think about it. Write questions about it. Pray through it. 
Give thanks for the things that you see. Come back to these things throughout the day. Tell someone else. That's a great way to get it stuck in your head. Tell someone else. Memorize passages of Scripture. Reading. It's a necessary ingredient, but the goal in reading is to have it lead to meditating. Taking a long look. Thinking deeply about what God impresses upon you. And as I, as I was thinking about this, I realized, you know, this is what our men's groups do. It's how every men's group is. We read through a section of scripture. Inevitably, I'll ask the guys, what stood out to you? And then we'll begin to discuss. One thing leads to another. We come to the end of our time, and there's usually some major point that we've been chewing on, one that we're hopefully thinking about throughout the day and throughout the week. It's meditating. It's a form of meditation, which becomes our joy, our blessing. Everyone wants to be blessed, but how does someone describe the blessed life? As Vanitha points out, it's not earthly success. It's not just what the world describes as the good life. It's not simply a loving marriage or obedient children. It's not found in health or career or friends or money. According to verse 3, the blessed life, here's what it looks like. It looks like a tree. But not just a tree randomly sprouting up in a forest, but a tree that someone actually plants. That tree is planted purposeful. There's a reason it's where it's at. The blessed life has a sovereign gardener who plants you by streams intending for you to be fruitful. Like the video that we just watched, God chooses where to plant us, where we might bring beauty or helpful shade or nourishing fruit to others. God has a plan He's planted you right where you are for a good purpose. He doesn't put you in a desert to shrivel up and die. He puts you next to life-giving water, his word, supplying your every need. And his plan is for you to drink from his word and delight in it, and that this will make you healthy. It will make you fruit-bearing, no matter what season. You will bear fruit. If it's a season of plenty, you'll bear the fruit of thankfulness. If it's a season of struggle and doubt, you'll bear the fruit of faith. If it's a season of suffering, you'll bear the fruit of patience, trouble, peace. If you're wronged, if you're falsely accused, there will be the fruit of mercy and gentleness. Whatever the season is, the result of drinking from God's word is the fruit of the spirit. And I love this image of a leaf that does not wither. When the sun is beating down on us and, and, and everyone around us as well, and others are withering because of shallow temporary pursuits instead of a life that's characterized by, by a depth, that relies upon the living water of God's word, the tree with its green leaves is going to stand out. It's 
going to stand out from the rest. It's going to be a, a testimony of God and his sustaining grace, his blessing. When your life is not superficial, you'll, you'll not be chaff-like. You won't be hollow. You won't be like that chaff that blows away. But instead, you'll be solid. You'll, you'll stay when the winds and the storms of life blow. That, this is what prosperity is. Psalm 1, this is what, what it's describing as prosperity. Verse 3 describes this fruitful, deep, solid kind of life. It describes this as prosperous. And when you think about it, the prosperity preachers, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about. In fact, ironically, they pursue, they point people to shallow, superficial, chaff-like things that wither and dry up and are blown away by the storms of life. True prosperity speaks of succeeding in a goal. And the goal of Jesus involves something that the prosperity preachers have no category or understanding of. The goal of Jesus involved suffering. God may give us a variety of seasons, some of them very painful, but he is the one who planted us. And his purpose is that we prosper in that season, through those times. And what this will look like is success. Success in being transformed into the likeness of the one blessed man, Jesus. Verse 5 speaks of judgment. And unlike the wicked, Jesus will stand in judgment because he alone is sinless. He is the blessed man. And your only hope of standing in the congregation of the righteous is by standing in Jesus, being identified with Christ and Christ alone. For verse 6, the Lord knows He knows the way of the righteous. Only Jesus. Is he your identity? Is Jesus your identity? All other identities will perish. He alone is our sinless Savior. And if you belong to him, the blessings of Psalm 1 are yours through him. And if you belong to him, Psalm 1 will also be the pattern of your life. And I think Vanitha sums it up as she went on to write this. My desire for God is greatly fueled by my need. And it is in the areas of loss where I feel my need most intensely. Unmet desires keep me on my knees. They deepen my prayer life. They make me ransack the Bible for God's promises. Earthly blessings are temporary. They can all be taken away. Job's blessings all disappeared in one fateful day. I too had a comfortable life that was stripped away within a span of weeks. My marriage dissolved. My children rebelled. My health spiraled downward. My family fell apart. My dreams were shattered. And yet in the midst of those painful events, I experienced God's richest blessings a stronger faith than I had experienced before, a deeper love than I 
had ever known, a more intimate walk than I could explain. My trials grounded my faith in ways that prosperity and abundance never, never could. While my trials were not blessings in themselves, they were channels for them. As Laura Story asks in her song, Blessings, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? Pain and loss transform us. While they sometimes unravel us, they can also push us to a deeper life with God than we ever thought possible. They make us rest in God alone. In pain and loss, we long for presence. We long to know that God is for us and with us and in us. Great families, financial wealth, and good health are wonderful gifts we can thank God for, but they are not his greatest blessings. They may make us delight, not in God, but in his gifts. God's greatest blessing always rests in God himself. When we have that, we are truly hashtag blessed. Vanitha has it right. Our blessings are not primarily family or health or financial wealth. So let's be careful not to place our identities in good things or even difficult things, but in Christ alone. There are many superficial identities that what they end up doing is separate us. But we're not primarily defined by things like our school choices or socioeconomic status or our politics even. It's not by being a, um, an introvert or an extrovert. It's not that you're single, married, or divorced. It's not your ability or even your disability. No, the only way for you to prosper and be fruitful and stand in the day of judgment is for your identity to be in the blessed man in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, in this new year, Keep us focused on the only identity that matters. Help us to walk with Jesus, being influenced by him. Help us to stand in his way, agreeing with and identifying with him. Help us to to sit, to be settled in the truth of his word, and to more and more be delighted to read and meditate on your word, and to tell it to others. Lord, give us a renewed dedication to your word, searching for Jesus, seeing wondrous things that bring about our growth, our excitement to go and make disciples, to be prosperous, to be fruitful in this season of 2022, and however many years you give us. Lord, make it make our lives count for you, we pray, in our blessed Savior, our only hope, our only joy. In Jesus' name, we pray.
Amen.